Welcome to Red Star Over Asia, a podcast covering politics over Asia from a communist perspective. I am Bori, uh, your co-host for today, and with us we also have Jay, Hi, Jack, How's it going? And Mike. Hello. So before we get into the personal introductions, I want to give you guys, the listeners, a brief overview on why another podcast because that's probably what you're going to be wondering about uh, with all the leftist podcasts starting out with half-baked ideas out there what are we uh, filling in is there anything much more to cover and we've been talking amongst ourselves that although there are great podcasts uh, some better known than others I don't think that there are a lot that are covering Asian politics from a left perspective in the English language. And that's precisely the niche that we're trying to fill in. And it's going to be an ongoing project where we start out from the region where we're based in, which is South Korea, and try to expand over borders and into other countries as well, and get to know other people in other local contexts and try to connect and initiate conversations, discussions, much needed for international solidarity. The primary audience for this podcast will not be for, sadly, not that you shouldn't but listen to this, but for Americans commuting to their jobs elsewhere. Uh, what we're trying to do is create an audience that is for Asian leftists that do speak the English language so that we have a common language to discuss issues with. Because as you all know, Asia has one of the biggest populations in the world with a very diverse cultural and linguistic variety. We don't even have a common language to share. English is just one candidate among them and it's one of the languages that we just know how to speak. So that's going to be the medium we're hosting this podcast in. Now that's the brief overview, and we'll get into what we think is international solidarity later on. But let's get into the personal issues and get to know who the co-hosts are. So we'll start with Jay. Please introduce yourself, uh, what your connections to is, what your relationship is to Korea, what you're looking forward to in this podcast, what you're bringing to the table, etc. Yeah, um, hi, I'm Jay. Uh... I'm Korean-American, but I've lived abroad most of my life. I'm currently involved in student organizing in the Midwest. I was actually in Iowa when the trade war with China hit, so I was doing some work with food justice at the time, and the headlines for a couple months were about uh, farm bankruptcies. And I just think that's crazy that you had all these corn and soy farmers live in a state where Asians don't even make up double digits, yet depend their livelihoods on a country on the other side of the world. And uh, that really taught me how important international solidarity is. Um, as a student organizer, I hope to add a uh, perspective from a U.S.-based activist who hopes to organize in Korea in the future, while, you know, of course, staying humble with how little I know now. Thank you, Jay, for your brief introduction. We'll return to uh, talking about the specific necessity for international solidarity in that local context. Uh, a little along the way, but let's hear from Jack first. So, hey comrades, I'm Jack. Uh, this is, for me, a little 
difficult question, so I'll answer in a little bit of a vague way. But I think from studying, and studying is too big of a word, but reading Korean history uh, and history of other countries uh, as well, I think uh, I've come to see the our history was, and the history of our struggle has always been so very deeply affected by U.S. military occupation of this country and the division between the North and the South that are maintained by that U.S. occupation. So I believe that uh, that is how I come to see that uh, the role of imperialism in uh, in a sense uh, preventing and distorting the achievements of many uh, so struggles of uh, the working people. And uh, I've come to realize that that is something that we have to combat. And uh, the best way to combat that is by uniting in solidarity with other people in similar struggles around the world. And that's my vibe. All right. Thank you, Jack. We'll get into the details of what history you've read and stuff like that later on. But let's get into Mike's uh, personal details as well. Mike? Okay, uh, my name is Mike. Uh, unlike the other comrades here, I am from the U.S., uh, but I, I do live in South Korea now. I live in Busan, which is uh, the beautiful uh, coastal city. Um, and in the U.S., uh, you know, I, I joined various leftist socialist groups as a university student, high school student. Uh, I was a community organizer for some time. I'm from East Tennessee, Appalachia originally. I was born there, grew up, up primarily around Nashville. Um, but I live in South Korea now. And uh, as I said, I, I was involved in the left in the U.S. So I sort of understood and to a certain degree, the importance of international solidarity, but now living on the other side of the world and in sort of gradually getting involved with the left here, um, the, the, the importance of international solidarity. And, um, you know, I moved to Korea, uh, you know, for the stereotypical reasons that, you know, there are job opportunities here for native English speakers, et cetera. And it's a, you know, cost effective way to get to explore another part of the world or whatever. But also I did move here for some political reasons too. Um, I've always been interested in, in this part of the world and wanted to learn more about it. Uh, so, I mean, I'll give you an example. The first time I was exposed to South Korean uh, leftists was a, at a labor notes conference where some auto, South Korean auto workers were, uh, talking about a uh, significant auto strike that had gone on where they were just, you know, hand to hand battle with like, you know, military police and stuff. And, you know, my impression was just like, damn, South Korean workers are some hardcore motherfuckers. Right. Um, so that piqued my interest. And I got really interested in South Korean history, read some books about, you know, the history of the South Korean left, the anti-imperialism struggles here. Um, uh, I had the privilege of attending a Marxist international school in Europe where I got to meet some comrades from uh, elsewhere in Asia and got to learn a lot more about uh, various struggles in different parts of Asia. So, um, it, yeah, I just, I've always been, I've always thought that it's very important to 
build international solidarity ties and not just for these because, you know, in the in the U.S. Uh, and kind of, you know, so-called, quote unquote, Western left context, it's often framed as this sort of like moralistic question. Right. It's like the the Western leftists have to sort of in this like kind of condescending charitable way, help out the, the poor, uh, you know, developing country leftists or whatever. Uh, but it's a pragmatic, ne- strategic and tactical necessity if you're a socialist, right? Capital organizes itself internationally. Uh, labor has to organize itself internationally. And our various uh, allied social movements have to organize themselves internationally. So uh, it's been great living in Korea and meeting uh, the colleagues on this podcast. And I'm really looking forward to exploring all the various issues together with these brilliant folks, and we are going to have some guests on in the coming weeks and months. Um, so as, as Boris said, the point of this project is to spotlight and elevate uh, the struggles that are going on across Asia and make that accessible in a one of the lingua francas, so to speak. So as Boris said, you know, uh, the, Asia is a very diverse place linguistically and ethnically and nationally, etc., but English is one of the uh, common second languages. So uh, this can potentially our goal here is to make this a, a good outlet and a good resource for people to people in across Asia to learn about what comrades and uh, allies are doing in other other places on the continent. So, uh, yeah, that's that's my my story, I guess. So I'm just excited to learn and ha- be in conversation and dialogue with you guys and our future guests. So, yeah. All right. So, Mike, thankfully, already touched upon the issue of international solidarity again. And uh, for me, um, again, I'm Bori. Of I'll, I'll do a brief introduction in the sense that I'm a Korean currently living in Seoul. My English is something... Uh, Probably some people might be curious where it comes from. Uh, I've lived in the U.S. for six years, uh, having the whole family move there for a brief period. And that was when uh, kids learned, uh, acquired their mother tongue, so to speak. And that's where I got mine. After returning to Korea, uh, I always felt like there was a disconnect having encountered and lived in a different country with a different culture and a language. And uh, that affected me through my childhood. And then when I went into university and first encountered social movements, Marxism, uh, struggles for emancipation, etc., the questions I had when I was growing up kind of met alongside the questions that uh, I've encountered through these uh, struggles for social justice and universal emancipation. So putting two and two together, I've thought of my future prospects of trying to, I guess, put to a logical extension of what I've been doing so far, which is being on the borders between different cultures and trying to do that which it more concretely in my context so less of a u.s korean connection 
which I'm have to do whether I like it or not because it's the language I'm most fluent in. But more so with uh, other countries in Asia, other leftists in Asia, other social movements in Asia as well, trying to utilize the. A gift of language that I acquired early on, and try to utilize it to the fullest extent, and that's where my interest in international solidarity comes in. The necessity of it uh, in the more immediate Korean context is that uh, the Korean left had been isolated for. Quite some time. If you look into the early 20th century socialist movements, you see that uh, because of Japanese colonial occupation, uh, Korean nationalists had to become communists and socialists. Socialist communists had to uh, work in foreign contexts because the country, the state, the nation was under occupation. Uh, so there was an immediately international prospect there. But after uh, the Korean War and the peninsula being divided into two, uh, and with a virulent anti-communist right-wing dictatorship of Lee Seung-man, uh, the left kind of was eradicated, and that cut off its connections to a more international audience. So we have a a revival of the left after the '80s, but that revival was. At the cost of uh, isolationism, so it's South Korea is kind of like an island in in East Asia, and one of the prospects I'm hoping that this podcast facilitates is connecting with leftists abroad and trying to rebuild those uh, relationships that we had seen in the early 20th century. Well, I. I think I can kick us off with a good question. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, this question of international solidarity. I mean, I think everyone on the left, from the center left to the far left, liberals, progressives, socialists, communists, etc., you know, totally subscribes in the abstract to this idea of international solidarity. But I think uh, we don't think a lot about what that looks like concretely, right? Like usually. In my experience, it's sort of like you know we have some conferences and like maybe some people from a successful struggle, like you know ten years ago in Venezuela or et cetera. They come and do a conference and give some speeches, and everyone's very inspired that like, well, shit is terrible here, but it's going great in Venezuela. We're all inspired. We can learn from these things, and that's important. Like we we do need to like you know pool resources and bring people around the world to like engage and talk to other people, but. Again, I think the importance of international solidarity comes down to like concretely organizing, like you know, how do workers in uh, South Korea who work at Samsung organize with workers in Vietnam who work at Samsung, right? Because they are both working in the supply chain, like, and the workers in Korea may have a lot more like social leverage in terms of Samsung. You know, I know that the the actual like manufacturing. Uh, part of the Samsung chain. I'm just using this as an example. Has diminished somewhat in, in South Korea. It's been outsourced to places like Vietnam. But uh, you know, workers here have a lot of leverage to support workers in Vietnam who are you know really struggling. Like you know, the, there's been some serious uh, repression of uh, workers attempting to organize in Vietnam around a Korean company. So uh, 
I think it's very important to think very specifically and like uh, concretely about like what, what international solidarity means in terms of like actual on the ground organizing and like taking advantage of these global supply chains and strategically disrupting them to support our comrades uh, internationally. So that's kind of my general perspective. But. Speaking of which, uh, Mike, you mentioned Samsung, and I think uh, I would like to add that because in you know modern globalized capitalism, all the uh, you know various parts of you know producing a commodity, the the entire supply chain is so fragmented and distributed all across all across the globe that uh, there is it's very difficult to locate a single uh, you know locus of you know very strategic uh, effect in a sense uh, you know in long time ago during you know like uh, when socialism was still early I guess uh, it was much easier than it is currently to you know have a strike uh, occupy the workplace uh, occupy the means of production and you know uh, at least get concessions from the uh, ca- from capital but nowadays uh, say it's people uh, the Samsung workers in Korea say go on a strike they can always you know, move production elsewhere so I think that also stresses the importance of international solidarity that your local struggle has to be coordinated with struggles of um, other people in uh, elsewhere in the world who are fighting the same enemy for our struggle to have any sort of meaningful strategic effect, if that makes any sense. No, I think that's a really good point. And there has been, you know, especially in the U.S. and the, the U.K. left, there's been this sort of like... Uh, uh, kind of retrograde quasi-nationalist sort of like social democratic tendency. That's like the response to the ravages of globalization, you know, and by globalization, I mean, capitalist globalization, like globalization inherently is not bad, but on capitalist terms, it, it is very destructive to communities all across the world. So there is a, a, a you know, sort of this understandable reactionary tendency on the left. It's just sort of like, you know, we got to cater to sort of like the nationalistic impulses that are, you know, that are going into reaction of like deindustrialization in the West, et cetera. Um, and again, and then when people go against that, it, it goes into these like moral terms of like, well, we can't be nationalistic because nationalism is bad. And internationalism is just abstractly good. But I think what you just said is absolutely correct. Like internationalism is I mean, I guess you could say it's ethically, morally good, but it's also just like if the working class in any country wants to win, international solidarity is key. Because as you said, like these supply chains are international. Um, you know, the, the you know uh, the raw materials are mined in one country; they are assembled in another, and then there's another stage of manufacturing in another country, and they're sold in another country. So, if these workers are organized internationally, if there are social movements, uh, if there are solidarity movements, student movements etc organized like this is just this is just basic strategic common sense so i feel like this gets lost in the argument and it's like you know this is just a strategic and tactical necessity i would like to 
tack on another bit, if you don't mind, is that uh, so we just mentioned the economic struggle, say uh, Samsung workers in Korea or Vietnam, but also at the same time, uh, I think uh, no matter what kind of achievements uh, you make in the local scene of the class struggle, I think uh, your achievements can always be attacked and overturned by the U.S. imperialist hegemony and all the um, its instruments of power in the global geopolitical scene, like NATO or you know, like various organs of like you know capitalist incursion, like the IMF and uh, like the Western uh, stranglehold on the media and their information sphere. So, I think it's very important to recognize that um, even if you win in your neighborhood, so to speak, that victory will not be safe until everybody win. Like until everybody, until every struggling people in the world succeeds in breaking away and defeat breaking away from capitalism and defeating imperialism, there is still a chance, a very significant chance of that all that achievement and victory being overturned. And I think throughout history we have seen numerous examples of this happening: a revolution succeeding in a country and then uh, being destroyed by counter-revolution, often instigated by CIA or sometimes just very blatant U.S. invasion. You know, I mean, I really agree with um, Jack here, you know, like to quote the great Bruce Springsteen, you know, nobody wins until everybody wins. You know, I think there's something um, much deeper here. Like, um, I mean, like, obviously the most important part is the strategic reality of, of capital, right? That like a huge reason why inequality is soaring is because of offshoring, but that to like really like fight against that, it's not, we can't just like show people that this is, this, this makes sense tactically, but like, I feel, I feel like it goes something a bit deeper and it kind of goes into like, just that, that sense of solidarity that they're attacking one of our own. Like uh, what I was kind of thinking about was um, I saw it in a labor notes conference, um, that when the Verizon strike happened in 2016, that BPO workers in the Philippines were allowed to jobs were getting offshore actually called the CWA and we were asking like, how do we work together? Because we don't want to feel like we're crossing the picket line, you know? And you kind of think about that, but like solidarity, even when the like benefits aren't like directly tangible, are the most dangerous like tools that labor uses. Like it's the reason why in the US it's illegal to have a secondary strike. You know, and I was especially thinking about that because I lived in Vietnam for six years. It's like one of the big, I think the biggest issues around organizing on those countries is that there's going to be some cultural divides you're going to have to face. You know, like when I lived in Vietnam, like one of the like ways that my fellow Koreans would commonly refer to the Vietnamese, what they call them, um, which, you know, just means like Vietnamese bastard. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not saying that Koreans are racist. I mean, like you see that in America, too. You know, but it's that like they've been like raised their whole life to not view 
these fellow workers as fellow workers, but as foreigners. And that we have to, I don't know. I mean, it's just whenever I see like international like solidarity efforts, it tends to kind of like be based around like a minority of like already enlightened workers and just not the general, if, if, you, if you get what I mean. So, yeah, these are all good points. And, uh, and I guess I could add the Korean context on why it's necessary, not just an, as an afterthought of preventing counter-revolution, but in the process of forging uh, of movement that goes against capital's needs more directly would be uh, an example I would think of is uh, two, two years ago when Korea and Japan had a, a sort of a trade war based upon uh, Shinzo Abe's remarks on just denying uh, the sex slaves of the imper imperial army. So, so because the whole discourse, the language that even the labor movement accepted was based in nationalistic terms, when capital used that to extend work hours, to increase the labor intensities, uh, Samsung, for example, did that because Japan was kind of cutting off the semiconductor exports to Korea. So that that's the grounds they justified their extension of labor time. And because the Moon administration, a relatively progressively viewed government, had agreed to that, the labor movement had no basis to reject it because it was entirely framed in Korea versus Japan and we're doing it for our country, our nation, and stuff like that. Uh, what was missed was a chance to highlight uh, the voices and movements in Japan that was against the far-right uh, government in power. And by doing so, we could have shown that there isn't a clear divide between Korea and Japan. And it's more about uh, against reactionary and there is a common social struggle against these voices because uh, because it would be it would be based not in nationalistic terms but in anti-war, peace, and feminist terms. Uh, and also, it could have been based upon uh, the practices that both states had in common, the anti-labor sorts of policies that they were implementing. But that was all lost when it was purely approached through a nationalistic lens. And this kind of international solidarity that identifies uh, the divides in society, not upon civilizational or national borders, but upon identifying them in, internally to the societies that they are in and trying to connect those, it disrupts the usual narratives that were feeded. And is able to create the space uh, in its interventions, the space that we need to organize more widely. So, so that's one thing. Uh, another example, less so with directly big capital, was 
uh, the recent democratic protests in Thailand, uh, South Korea is proudly exporting its uh, protest repression technology to Thailand, specifically its water cannons. Uh, So there is an actual connection that the South Korea has upon social movements abroad. This isn't entirely a U.S.-specific thing. Every country, every state and capital, to an extent, uh, does this. And it's important for the left in South Korea to point this out and uh, reject it so that when we need a hand uh, to, to be extended, towards, uh, we have a sort of moral and ethical grounding to ask for that, which is also going to be uh, taken into account when we take up strategical and tactical uh, thinking as well. Yeah, I uh, I can chime in here. I think everyone's made some really good points. Yeah, and to your point, where you sort of gestured towards the national question in terms of Korea. And I think, uh, you know, I know I know we said the, the purpose of this project is to kind of create an English language uh, resource for activists across Asia. But, I, you know, as an American, I guess I do have to uh, approach this from a, an American perspective. Like, it is interesting to me that, like, you know, in the there's these the primary the main cleavage within the, the uh, South Korean left is. Uh, between left nationalists and, uh, you know, what's called PD, people's democracy, more sort of eclectic, uh, democratic socialists, Marxists, various strands, etc. And I think a lot of people in the U.S. have a hard time understanding that because, you know, when we think nationalism, it's like inherently like a right wing thing because we sort of lost the memory of these sort of like anti-colonial nationalist struggles. But, uh, you know, Jack talked about Cuba. I think there is a there is a way to have a healthy internationalist, but also nationalist struggle. So like Cuba, for example, is internationalist, but also nationalist in a certain way, because in the in the course of fighting imperialism, you your imperialism sort of forces you to like forge your own national identity. Right. And that can go in reactionary directions or it can go in healthier directions. Um, and I know, Bori, you have uh, critiques of certain aspects of the, the Korean left and that in that regard. Um, but I do, I do just want to say like, you, you know, I know I was sort of, you know, uh, shitting on like how kind of like, you know, this catchphrase international solidarity can be sort of like, you know, uh, hashtag in these sort of like moralistic terms or whatever. But, you know, there are concrete examples that really do. I mean, it is, you know, there is an ethical imperative to it in some ways and it does kind of like, you know, hit at your heart sometimes. Like for example, um, you know, uh, Kim Yong-hee, who uh, he was a older man who was, uh, uh, a t- was a labor organizer at Samsung. He was fired unjustly and launched a kind of a single man sit-in, but he was supported by a large contingent of people and a movement behind him. But uh, uh, a buddy of mine who's a labor journalist in the U.S. was in South Korea and wanted to like highlight struggle that was going on. For anyone who's interested, uh, there's... I think uh, there's a uh, I hate to promote the New York Times, but there was actually a decent article in the New York Times about it. I think there was one in Jacobin as well. Some other places uh, 
in Korean language, I'm sure there's plenty of better ones that uh, Bori and others could recommend. Um, but yeah, Kim Young Hee, like we uh, went and visited him, and he was, you know, doing his sin at the top of this tower at one of the busiest intersections in Seoul. And we, you know, called him on the phone. A comrade, Korean comrade of ours in Seoul, uh, brought us there. And uh, the fact that like some American, you know, random white guys were there, just like you know, raised fists. Like, you know, that that gives you a morale boost. That's a lonely struggle when you're fighting one of the most powerful corporations in the world. Right. So it, there is, you know, there is sort of a moral ethical dimension to it. It's like we got to back up our troops, you know, like uh, we got to think of ourselves as a global army. Like when our troops are like getting beleaguered in one part, we got to boost them up. And, you know, there's all sorts of critiques of so-called privileged discourse or whatever. But it's like the reality is like some workers in other parts of the world are in a better position to support workers who are in a more difficult situation. It is our responsibility to do that. And another example, I live in Busan. Uh, this was what, I think two weeks ago, uh, there's a, a comrade, uh, Kim Jin Suk. Uh, she was uh, a militant against the uh, military, one of the military dictatorships in South Korea. Uh, she was also a labor organizer at one of the uh, main ports here. So Busan is a, a southern coastal city in South Korea for people who may not know that. Uh, it's one of the biggest ports in the world. So there's a lot of like uh, capital and industry here. Uh, this company Hanjin, uh, she organized there and dramatically improved the lives of working class people and like organized her ass off. And she was a instrumental player in toppling the, uh, the military dictatorship and the transition to parliamentary democracy, et cetera. And uh, she's sort of, she has uh, breast cancer. She's sort of doing a last stand. I think now she's actually walking all the way to Seoul. Um, and we went out for a solidarity protest with her. And uh, the fact that there were some foreigners there, people appreciate that. Um, you know, it is it is important to like make sure that there's a global dimension to the to the struggle, right? Um, because if Busan is one of the biggest, most, uh, you know, if Busan is one of the biggest ports in the world, it's important for workers in other ports in the world, in California, Hong Kong, etc., to be organizing together, um, because uh, capital tries to isolate labor and divide us along national and ethnic lines we have to push back against that and unfortunately there's been a tendency within the left that is sort of falling back into isolationism and you know uh nationalism social democratic nationalism especially in the west and we have to push back against that so anyway that's my little rant i'll let someone else talk now i want to tack on to that great point that bori made about the trade war with japan because I remember when that happened, my mom told me that all of her female coworkers got laid off. And but I asked her, um, did you support the trade war? And she said, of course, because we have to fight Japan. And it, I just thought that was very bizarre that she just saw like how devastating this was to her. Hmm. But, you know, it didn't have to be that way, because around that same time, there was I remember seeing the news that the president of the KCTU, which is, um, I believe, now Korea's largest labor federation which is also connected to the uh, democracy movement, actually uh, met with the president of Japan's second largest labor federation, I want to say, called Zenroen, which I know I'm butchering that pronunciation. 
and uh, which is interesting because that labor federation is actually affiliated with the Japanese Communist Party, and they talked about how even in this trade war, we stand in solidarity together because we understand that the bigger issue that this is hurting workers on both sides. But I never really heard anything afterwards, and I'm very curious about like was there any progress after that meeting? So I guess uh, I don't know the details of what happened afterwards, but from the general trajectory, I don't think that there was a significant pro a, a presence there. So despite the efforts that exist, it's still meager, and this is the necessary niche that we're trying to fill in and develop. Uh, Jack, Jack, do you have anything that you want to add here? Well, i like to say that uh, whatever we are curious about right now, we can, as a group, actually can go and interview these people and find out, because that's what we are trying to do. Absolutely. So, yeah, so we are trying to develop these questions on nationalism, on ethnicity, on uh, capital exchange, on its expansion, uh, different sorts of historical trajectories of the various left and social movements across Asia. Uh, we'll be trying to cover, interview, interrogate, and ho- create dialogues among all these ver- vast uh, variety of questions. Um, so for the next episode, we're going to interview a Korean-American organizer uh, that is working with the International Strategy Center uh, uh, that is interested in translating lots of work, interpreting uh, leftists abroad, and creating a sort of hub and space for more discussions within Korea uh, to be held about uh, leftist movements abroad. I hope you tune in for that, and I think we can wrap it up here today. How's that sound, guys? Stay tuned, comrades. 